episode number 350 with Nancy Duarte. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome everyone to the School of Greatness podcast. And today we're talking about how to ignite change through speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols. That's right. We've got the one and only Nancy Duarte in the house. And she is a communication expert who's been featured on major platforms like Forbes, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and on CNN. And her firm, Duarte Inc., has created more than a quarter of a million presentations for the world's most influential businesses, institutions, causes, and authors. And Nancy has won several prestigious awards for communications and entrepreneurship and teaches classes at Stanford University several times a year. Also, her firm has influenced how the world perceives some of the most important brands, including Apple, Facebook, GE, Google, and TED. She is also the author of three award-winning books and just came out with a new one called Illuminate. And in this episode, we dive in on how to cultivate a dream state to allow yourself to dream big. We also talk about why using speeches, stories, and symbols is so helpful for leaders and organizations and we give some great case studies of using all of these throughout this interview. The reason most small businesses fail within the first four to five years and how to overcome that, how to feel empathy for your audience, and really why a lot of big leaders aren't successful long term when they don't embrace using empathy, the difference between enlisting and enrolling people into your vision and into your leadership, and so much more. I thought this was fascinating. I could have gone a lot longer with Nancy because for me, it's all about how we connect our ideas with others around us to support us in making those ideas come to life. And we all have great ideas at some point in our life, but if we can't get other people to support that idea. It's really hard to build anything inspiring or create any lasting change. So for me, this is the key. This is what it's all about. If you can enroll people and inspire people through using ceremony, symbols, stories, speeches, then you can create whatever you want in your life. This is what it's all about. So I hope you guys enjoy this one with the one, the only Nancy Duarte. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about our guest, Nancy Duarte, in the house. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. You've got a new book out called Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. And I first was connected to you through your other book. You have other books, but mm-hmm. the other one was Slideology, which our content editor, Christine, 
read your book and she actually used the stuff to connect with me and got the job through kind of some of your <laughs> teachings. So thanks for bringing me a great podcast yeah, out there. Lovely. She's amazing. <laughs> and you, and I'm curious, why did you, you know, when I first learned about you, you were teaching people about storytelling and presentations, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To kind of connect and get your message out there to the world to inspire change or mm -hmm. to inspire someone to take action, I'm assuming, correct? Right. So why go from storytelling to illuminate, which is still speeches, storytelling, ceremonies, and symbols? Why take it to this level? Yeah. What's interesting is I think people were a little surprised to get a leadership book from us, mm -hmm. but storytelling is an amazing leadership tool. So if yes. you look at the structure of a story, it's always about this protagonist who goes through something really difficult and is changed in the process. And as leaders, that's what we do every day, right? <laughs> we can see a more ideal future yeah. and we are to drive, we call them travelers, we're to drive our travelers there and it's hard. And we're asking them to go through hardships on behalf mm -hmm. of the company or the organization. And so using speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols is a way to create longing inside your travelers to help them want to go there with mm. you. And that's the biggest barrier is most of the time your travelers will resist um, they'll look at the sacrifice and say, this isn't worth the reward that they're offering and they'll opt out of your journey. Mm. And you don't want that, right? You want the right people with you along the way because leaders right. don't get them by themselves. They don't get there by themselves. No. You get there because of the people that come with you. Yeah. And um, that's why it's really important to use these uh, tools and have them in your toolkit. Who do you think is the most inspiring leader who is able to use all the tools necessary to bring his his or her travelers on the yeah, journey. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so funny because I there's kind of the classic, you've got uh, Dr. King on the cause side, uh -huh. and I think Steve Jobs on the corporate side. I think they both used all of those speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols um, every day along the way. Really? Yeah. And when, when they communicated, yeah. Hmm. How many speeches, let's say you're an entrepreneur with less than 50 employees, how many speeches do you typically need to give and what does a speech include yeah, yeah. a year? That's a you good, know, you know, do I yeah. need one good speech for the year to bring everyone <laughs> along all the hardship from everything that's going to happen? Is it a weekly speech? Is it a... Sometimes. I, you know, sometimes we consider a speech a designed conversation, like if you're having a really mm. critical conversation. So it just depends one on, one on even. yeah, even a, an audience of one, mm. you may need to do an impassioned plea, but, mm. um, it, it depends. Like for you, you're a thought leader. So you're giving speeches all the time too, yeah. but you're also having to rally the people who are mm -hmm. kind of coming alongside you. So one of the reasons we called them travelers in the book, we didn't say employees or right, teams right. is or because followers or something. Yeah. Right, it right. could be your consumers. It could be your listeners. It, it yeah. could be any number of people that aren't necessarily considered a follower. They're people that you want to have <laughs> bumble along with you into the future yeah. um, to this unknown <laughs> place. Sure. And so some um, crazy vision you have. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Westward expansion almost, right? Uh -huh. There's going to be scary things. There's going to be motivating things. Yeah. Um, and just incredible unknowns. And that's what being a leader is, is getting people to go to an alternate future. Okay. Yeah. How often do you feel like you're doing this for your company and your journey? Right. So it's funny because I we featured a case study that's only partially done, uh, a story about my own company and uh -huh. the leading that I've had to do. And this January, um, at our vision, but you've had your company for like how many years? 30, now? almost 30 years, 30 years, married for 35, 28 right? years. We've had that. Yeah. We've married for 35. That's years. a long time to have a company. these days. It is. It is. And what's interesting is my own firm has been through, we're in our eighth reinvention. Wow. So we actually reinvent ourselves about every four years. And if you huh. look at the U S Bureau of labor and statistics, it says that most small businesses fail between about four and five years. So Why it is, is interesting 
they just the they partnerships fall apart. They wind up not invigorating their their um, company with the right. You know, things shift so quickly. Mm-hmm. Everything just changes so quickly. And if you're asleep at the wheel even for a second, you're not the People right place. Bounce. Like, look at you. Yeah. You could sit and rest on your laurels with just one book, but you, yeah. re, you know, each time you come up with a new body of work, it mm-hmm. shifts the direction of your trajectory for you and, yep. and your firm and yeah. and the whole thing. So. There isn't like a set amount of speeches a mm-hmm. leader should give. Um, but I have to say in my 28 years, I gave the speech of my life this January. I, I had stepped back in as president of my own shop. I haven't had to do that for about 10 years. And um, it was the most important speech I feel like I gave in my life. And it was to my own team. Wow. And it was to just re-energize them, give them this moment of endurance because we had a few more things to complete before we could enter into this new dream and uh, got a standing ovation. People wow. cried. It was unflipping believable. In January like, this year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I How actually want speech. It was just the vision speech lasted about 40 minutes. 40 and, minutes. Mm-hmm. Wow. and it was like, I, I mean, I do the whole thing. I rehearse. That's the most important speech I give every year. Cause how well you you're do not just that. winging it. You're not just like, no. okay, guys, here's no, a little God, bit about no. me. I let everyone, I look, let my exec team, they look at the slides. They, they're really picky about word choices. Like one word wow. choice from someone in a position of power can flip people one way or the other. So yeah. You get the full speech slideology full style. Full thing. Yeah, we use Resonate, Slideology, Illuminate. All the tools you could. You're <laughs> I've like, had to pull the little, there's a little pull out in there, a communication toolkit in Illuminate. I've had to pull it out a few times to read to my own work, yourself, to know yeah, how to yeah. do my, my <laughs> talk to my own team. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. How long did you prepare for that? It took, took a long time. So I spend a lot of time. So you have to actually kind of come up with the strategy and the vision, talk about the strategy. But I spend at least 100 hours every year mm, on our vision on one talk. speech. Mm-hmm. It's that okay. important to me to get enough traction because if you screw that up, you, nobody's rallying all year around what it is you're trying to do. So Monday, a week from yesterday, I'm doing the half year update to the vision talk and wow. I've been working on that for a few weeks. Not solid, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's crazy. It seems crazy. And what about your Ted's, your Ted talk speech? How long did it take for you to? That was that? interesting because the book was written. So I had to do a subset of that. And the hard part is. Murdering your own darlings, right? When, when you write a really great piece of work, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. don't know how to pick w- w- what would be the best piece mm-hmm. to keep in and what wouldn't. So I rehearsed and rehearsed and it was like, I had a coach and she'd be like, I, th- I think you spent 30 seconds on that. I think you could spend 22 seconds on oh that. So let's shave eight seconds off that and give those eight seconds over here to this. Cause other. you only have 15 minutes. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So literally like I'm the presentation lady. So I, it would be the worst thing <laughs> to have me get the hook. Cause they literally, once you hit 18 minutes, they come out and they walk no. you up. Yeah. So you have they, to come You it have to kill it. And I remember I was like, thank you very much. I looked up at six seconds left. On oh the my clock. goodness. Yeah. Six. <laughs> I was so relieved. I didn't even know what to do with myself. Um, um, so yeah, it was, that was <laughs> hard. Really so I rehearsed, 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 rehearsed. It was high stakes for me because I, yeah. it was a TEDx and I thought, you mm. know, if I kill it at a TEDx, I knew a small percent of talks make it onto TED.com. Yeah. So the talk had about like, I don't know, eight months later, I had like 50,000 views and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I just tweeted, so happy my TEDx talk is 50,000 views. And I copied at TED Talks and they call and they're like, hey, we want to put your talk up on TED.com on Tuesday. Wow. So it was all kind of unexpected. And, and what's, how many numbers or how many views? It's, like a, it's got about a million. If you count YouTube and my talk's one of the few on TED that isn't connected to my YouTube version. Mm. I don't know why, but so it's about a million and a half, million three quarters or cool. something like that. Very yeah, cool. yeah. And um, what did that do for you with that one speech? 
Well, what it was unexpected quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the phenom, the Ted phenom that happens afterward. Yeah. And, um, we went into a season that I now refer to as catastrophic growth, <laughs> like wow. the inbound queries, the, the people who wanted time with Nancy. You must get this all the time. Mm-hmm. I just want 15 minutes of your time. Right. But, um, it, it really, uh, we grew fast. So I had two, um, storytellers at the time. Now I have a team of 10, oh, like, but ramping and finding people qualified and getting the smartest people on the planet you know it just took an incredible amount of time so it just bent us we didn't break i mean at all but it bent us Um, yeah yeah stretched us wow i remember everyone was talking about you for a while and everyone wanted to like learn how to use your slide strategies and Mm -hmm. all that stuff yeah that's pretty cool. But you must, you must have a lot of corporate clients coming in then, right? Yeah. Just yeah. all the big leaders wanted to come and, get, and learn those, those yeah. strategies. Yeah. I have Storytelling is, is really challenging for people. Yeah. You know, I, I went on my own journey through storytelling. So I, for three years, I studied storytelling, story structures. Mm. Um, you know, what is a character? How do you develop mm. one? Every Joseph Campbell's hero's yeah. journey. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, you can't be a student of story and not be changed. It really changed me. And stories become a bit of a coping mechanism in life and in business, right? It's like, oh, it's hard today. Oh, I'm in the middle of my story. It'll end soon. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it'll have some sort of resolution, uh-huh. whether it's amazing. Or, or or not. And um, so once I applied storytelling to speech making, that's when I identified the tension and release that the great speech makers have used over time. Mm. Um, and so that's where Resonate came from was after I wouldn't have seen those insights if I hadn't gone on a three year journey through mm. story. I wouldn't have been able to identify what great speech makers use from from story. From what are the parts of a story? How many parts are there? There's three acts. Three, three acts. There's three strikes. Yeah, it's all the way back to Aristotle. Same mm-hmm. thing is true. So the three the three acts are you kind of set the stage with the protagonist, um, that they're a likable hero. Mm-hmm. And then they go through roadblocks. There's all these roadblocks thrown at them and you watch them overcome. So you root for them. The reason they have to be likable in the first act is if they're not likable, you're not, not going to root for them. Root yeah, them. You're yeah. not going to be like, oh, turd can lose i don't care but they what's interesting is it's like no sooner do they have like they lose the girl the alien attacks them they're impaled in the shoulder like poor frodo right half dead and then they still have to climb out this great big thing so it's hard and then and then at the end it either ends you know positively or negatively and and you root and and the thing about a story is that person's changed in the middle. Mm. It's messy. It's ugly, but they change. And for some reason, humans love to observe transformation. They love to watch someone else transform because we're like, am I like what I've done that same decision? You compare yourself to them and then you learn the moral lesson they either did or, or did not learn. And that's why storytelling, when you're leaving, leading change, mm. thinking through it with a story framework in your mind helps you know how to communicate, um, as your little travelers are right in the middle of the story that messy hard part you have to you have to communicate with them in a really compelling way Mm. they talk about torchbearers what's a torchbearer yeah it was funny because we didn't want leader and follower Mm. so we have torchbearer and travelers and um the torchbearer is someone who decides to lead i think everyone's called to lead but few actually choose Mm -hmm. to accept it it's a lot and it sounds heavy yeah but it's like a mantle you choose to Mm -hmm. you know frodo got the ring he was a ring bearer right and and he had to choose to go on this journey or not go on he had a choice to someone else yeah he flipped it over his shoulder (laughs) been like dink um, and so it is, I mean, it sounds kind of heavy and I wish it sounded more delightful. 
right. to lead, but it's like you're the bearer of a torch. And we liked the concept because if you think about the places in which you use a torch, they're usually a little scary and dark, maybe wet, Un- unknown. <laughs> cave, unknown. And a leader, what they'll do is cast just enough light to be like, oh, I can do that. Right. It's just this short term thing. You may have this vision, the long view, but you have to communicate the short trip in a compelling enough way that makes people want to take those next few steps and mm. get there. Mm. And so um, that's why we chose Torchbearer because okay. it also is something about fire and the passing of fire hmm. kind of burns in your belly. Right. When you have a vision, yeah. it burns inside of, of you. Like you you'll do everything you can to make sure that vision's realized. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of passing of fire and kind of burning in your belly is yeah. a big part of it too. It sounds like over 30 years, uh, you've evolved your vision many mm-hmm. times every four yeah. or five years. What's yeah. your current vision? Current vision is to help others lead through change right mm-hmm. now, which means my own organization has to be change ready. We have to be agile. We have to be nimble. And so we, we just have mapped out, um, kind of our vision for the future. And we've got this, you know, really delightful work we're doing around story, storytelling, mm-hmm. and it applied, um, to business, to everyday life. Um, we're working on a, a really great body of work around empathy. Mm. which is really fun. We just launched a um, delivery training, like how to deliver your speech, uh, which is how to use your kind of body as a visual symbol, body mm. language, um, voice, variety. Um, sure. Um, I did Toastmasters dynamics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a number of years ago, and this was all the things that we learned. Yeah. You know, Every week was a different challenge of like yeah. vocal variety and yeah. tonality and all those things. So yeah, so props. So be, yeah, great. props, the whole thing. So it's based in uh, empathy uh-huh. and uh, dynamics and how comfortable you are. So we've got this little model that we use. That's that. cool. so, so we've got this like vision. Is that a course yes. people sign up for? Or what is that? Yeah, so I've got a, go the agency, which is services, and then the academy, which is uh, all kinds of training. They come to us, we go to them. Okay. It just depends. We have an e-course, the whole thing. So cool. as we map out, um, I think empathy is going to be a tool that that's very critical for leaders. And, mm. and that's why storytelling is a critical why component empathy? of it too. I think, um, for me, like as a leader, I spend a lot of time in the future as a kid. I used it as an escape mechanism mm. because all I knew is I didn't want to be here. So I'd imagine huh. an alternate future for myself. I would imagine this place that was very different than where I was. So I was conditioned to use the future as an escape and in leaders, have to fixate on the future because you've got this entity and these people and these customers, all these people. You have to move in mass um, to this alternate place in the future. So leaders obsess quite a bit about the future, yeah. which makes you not as present. And to have empathy, you need to be present. I need to have considered, oh, maybe I should or shouldn't say this because <laughs> you, you know, that w- would be dumb for me to do this or say mm-hmm. this in this way. But because we don't spend as much time in the present, uh, it's a skill that has to be learned. Yeah. I think they don't, I think a lot of leaders don't naturally have empathy. They're so focused on the future. Right. They're like this right. doesn't matter. Let's go here. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host 
If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Why did you um, go to different worlds as a kid or escape? It was interesting. So I was... um I was raised by a narcissist. My mom was a narcissist. And mm. if you look at the definition, it means that she was missing the empathy gene. That's what a narcissist is. And all my life, I thought, she she doesn't know I'm here. She doesn't, she doesn't care. care. She, doesn't you, yeah. she doesn't root for me. She doesn't even know what I do. Like, she just doesn't know me. Therefore, she doesn't love me. Right? And they're uh, somewhat incapable of love mm. um, because they're so caught up. And, and when I realized it was a mental illness and not something wrong with me, my world changed a lot, but yeah. I, that only happened a few years ago. Wow. But I think that, um, what happened was I would, um, I knew what I didn't want because of my upbringing. So mm-hmm. we were, you know, emotionally and financially starved as children. And, um, so I knew what I wanted to build for myself and yeah. like my play, I didn't play with dolls. I didn't, I found an old abandoned desk in the neighborhood and put it in my room, fought, put papers in it, start filing, started wow. color things, started the court, organize them and catalog them. And I had my little, I had my little business already set wow. up when I was probably in the third grade, man, I knew what I wanted. <laughs> and, um, so I obsessed over that. I just obsessed over it. And then life doesn't turn out the way you want. My lovely mom abandoned us when I was 16. Mm. So I stepped in, I don't know why, third in line, I stepped in as kind of the parental figure, did all the grocery shopping, the cooking, the clothes folding, the like just everything um, until I graduated from high school. And then I got married when I was 18. Holy cow. Yeah. My husband and I met when I was 16 and fell in love. Yeah. Still married for 30 four, we 35, August 1st will be 35 years. And, um, so my whole life has been a quest for empathy. If Mm. when I was in college, my first year of college, my only year of college, actually, I, um, got a C minus in speech communications in college. I got an A plus in the visual aids. They didn't have PowerPoint or keynote or anything. Then you had to make posters and props to your point. Uh And so I did a good job on the posters and props. Um, so I got an A on that, but I actually got an F in connecting meaningfully with my audience. Hmm. So that was my first declaration of a failure of being a failure at empathy. And it's like F, right? And I feel like my whole life I've been clawing at models or mind frames for me to understand empathy. Hmm. So resonate when I made that discovery of the presentation form, it was a model for empathy for me. And it in illuminate yeah. me being able to understand that as a leader, what my followers are going to feel, that was a model for empathy for me as much as it is for anyone else. So I have to kind of visualize what it looks like. So I pause long enough to feel the empathy. Mm. And that's, wow. um, yeah, that's a tool that was right a there. long that was answer, great. but yeah, I, I, they're coping mechanisms for mm-hmm. me. Sure. Sure. I'm a heartfelt leader. Yeah. I think naturally, but I'm having to teach myself empathy. Interesting. Yeah. When did you start teaching yourself empathy? I think I've been on the quest for a really long time. So even with Sledology Resonate, that, that was when I first ran into empathy. Illuminate's based in empathy, 
but now I'm going to do a whole body of work on empathy. That's next time. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing it on empathy. The other thing we're doing is um, the first phase of the VentureScape and Illuminate is to dream. And I want to do a book teaching people how to dream. Gosh, I'll tell you what, this is like, glad you said that because it's something I feel like is a lost art yeah. in so many adults. Yeah. There's so many people that come to me and say, I don't know what I want. I don't know what my passion is. This is like wow. a common question I get every day via hmm. email or text or whatever it is from people who are going through this journey of greatness. It's like, they don't even know what they want. They don't even know what they makes them come alive. Wow. And it's so frustrating for me. I'm like, how do you not know what you want or what your dream is? Like, just go sit in nature and <laughs> like, don't have any electronics around you mm -hmm. and allow yourself to imagine, you know, just allow yourself to go on a journey. If you could have anything, yeah. what would it be? And I feel like it's, it shouldn't be that hard, but for some yeah. people, I guess I need to have empathy and well, understand that it is hard I don't hard understand people. it myself because like I, I have people in my life that are like victims, like life right? is happening to me. It's like, yes. well, just a tiny percent happens to you. Most right, of the situation right. you're in are because of decisions you made or uh -huh. whatever. And I just, you can, it is like the American dream. You can have and be anything you want. Yeah. Like if I can do it, I'm just a scrappy street smart. I'm not a kid, but used right. to be a kid. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like it's it, you're limiting yourself. Yeah. And so, how do you how do you do that? And how do you how do you dream when it's not just your dream, but you have to take all these people with you? Yeah. In, um, you have to enroll uh, people. Yeah. So, like in Creativity Inc., I loved Ed Catmull's book. He's the CEO of mm. Pixar, and in there, he it was just this one little line. It said, uh, "George Lucas imagines the future like westward expansion with all the you know drama and excitement and." And I was like, wow. And so I've been interviewing. How do you see the future? I have another client at Cisco who said ever since he was little, he could just imagine an alternate future and hmm. he could actually observe it. And he could, he could lay, he remembers like laying in the grass. Yeah. He remembers laying in the grass, just kind of examining it. He could hold it in his hands and kind of examine his own future, which is interesting to That's me. That's pretty cool. And how do you, how do you cultivate that? So I did a, uh, Ted this year did Jeffersonian dinners. And so I hosted a team of 10 different people at Ted to talk about prophetic imagination. Hmm. Is it cult? Are you born with it or can you cultivate it? Um, because that's a curiosity of mine. How do you, how's it that you know what the next book is you want to write, right? It's like, are you cultivating this curiosity mm -hmm. or is it just something you know you want to do? And so mm -hmm. how do you dream and how do you suspend your constraints enough? To have a yeah. dream that scares even you. I mean, I don't know if you were asking me personally, but just yeah. to answer that, I think that a lot of my dreams have come from pain and heartache. Yeah. Like a lot of pain, emotional pain that I've gone through as a child and growing up is like to get away from the pain. It's like, what do I really want? If I don't want this pain, then what would be like the dream? Yeah. And what so happens though from... when you get it into a pain-free place? Yeah, right? And then this is the interesting <laughs> thing. This is the interesting thing. Um and I don't know if I'll ever be out of pain, but I think when I was aware that like a few years ago, I did a lot of work on emotional intelligence for mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. and like realized, and that's where this new book topic, The Mask of Masculinity, mm -hmm. started to come from. It was like, wow, I've been holding on to certain things my whole life. I've been, you know, passive aggressive in certain situations mm -hmm. or angry or defensive. When certain things come up, I would have these triggers. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm aware of them, and sure, things are still painful or frustrating or I get defensive right now and then. I'm aware of it and it doesn't like consume me for months like it used to growing up. Um, and I think I'm a, in a much better place, mm -hmm. but I come from a dream of wanting to serve and inspire people so they don't have to feel the pain anymore yeah. as opposed to like me not having to feel the pain anymore. So awesome. I think it's just a different shift. Yeah, that's As awesome. opposed to like, oh, I want to do something to prove people wrong. It's like I want to do something to move people forward. 
That's and, awesome. And that's where like everything comes that from. Weird. Like sometimes I wonder if my children have suffered enough, right? What is the role of have suffering? Protect them too much. Maybe yeah. you need to be like your mom. Oh, because then oh. what type of leader would you really create in the world? <laughs> right. Like what? if she wasn't like that, she wasn't a narcissist. Would you be so I determined wouldn't. to be like I on this mission? I don't think I would. That's right? the thing. That's right? what's so weird. I mean, my kids, I've always supported them. Like you, they, they're both living their dream. Oh mm -hmm. my God. They're living their dream. Great. But I don't know that they, but they had enough suffering. adversity. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. My son, it was funny. I did my talk, my own personal story about empathy and my mm -hmm. mom being a narcissist at the last speak up, which is a storytelling event we do at our own shop. And my son was in the audience and he's like, he goes, mom, I got to tell you, I'm sorry because I was saying, I was telling people our family was dysfunctional. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, at the dinner table, everyone talks at the same time. And so oh we're, God. I was telling people we were dysfunctional because, but when I hear your story, I started from my earliest memory wow. through to knowing that I've broken the cycle because my own daughter is a beautiful mother because I'm a grandma now. Oh, wow. So it was this Congrats. really beautiful arc, right? Amazing. And he goes, I just stand corrected because I had not remembered how far we've come to think that interrupting each other at the dinner table is dysfunctional. Wow. Yeah. So it was a really beautiful moment. So I was like, that's oh, interesting how kind of protective sometimes. That's cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do we cultivate this dream state then? Yeah. That's, this alternate future. I think it's funny because I think you actually said it. It it needs to be on behalf of others, I think. I think we're born to advocate for those less fortunate than uh -huh. us. And once we get to that place, um, we... It's, it, we give ourselves away, right? So you, the only reason you need self mastery is so you can give it away. And I think mm -hmm. the happy people do that. The miserable yeah. ones, um, the miserable ones don't. Sure. Um, so I, I, I think that's part of it. It was funny when, when we were looking at stories for Illuminate, there were these great stories of, how business used to be run. Like people don't realize like Watson senior, the um, CEO of IBM during the war, he kept producing computers. The world didn't need them. Didn't hmm. need them at all. I mean, they were the, the, you don't even remember what, Old you don't even know what yeah. computers were back then. <laughs> they were more in. like calculators right, right. than they had um, cards and, and stuff. Anyway, he just kept making them just to keep the people employed. Now you wouldn't be able to do that today, right? You have to return so much to shareholders, kept them employed. And he had to, build warehouses to just put these computers really? in. He didn't need them. The war was over and suddenly the U.S. government needed a census and he had all the computers in stock that huh. they needed and he made this great big sale right after the wow, war was done, right? Cool. Yeah. Hershey, same thing. Kept all of his team employed during the war doing civic projects. They would build parks and he just kept them going. Like you can't make decisions like that in business, especially not mm. public businesses today. So I think there is this purpose. I think you have to dream with a purpose, there has to be a, a purpose in mind, or or your dreams will be blocked. So I I do think it's in it's and it can't be self centered exactly. only, right? Exactly. Of course, you we can want have, to have self centered life. dreams, right? But, right. We want know. to have a better life, make more money, or be help, right. whatever it is. But it's things got to be a greater good, right? True, right? Yeah. Or you won't be happy, or you'll be very unfulfilled. This exactly. was my life. It was to I had I achieved every dream pretty much I wanted, right? Young. But, yeah, I kept mm -hmm. achieving and achieving and achieving, but then within 15 minutes, I'd be so miserable. I was like, why am I unhappy and unfulfilled after achieving all these lifelong dreams that I had? Mm -hmm. And I remember just realizing it's to prove people wrong or to like make myself look better than or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this does not feel good, you know? And when I started to shift that and say, how can I do something to, to be a, 
a symbol of inspiration or to call people forward and achieve something I want at the same time, it felt a lot more rewarding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So service became think, a big thing for me. Yeah. The biggest dream you can think of, but on behalf of others is yeah. energizing. Yeah. It's energizing. It's probably like, you know, Dr. King. It's like, it wasn't just for him. It was for exactly. everyone. It was liberation. So I think yeah. there are underlying, I, we spent a lot of time looking at storytelling. Like why does the protagonist choose to jump in? Like why did he choose to fight the aliens? There's always an inner journey and an outer journey. So the outer journey is fighting the aliens, yeah. but there's always a heart journey going mm -hmm. on. And what is that heart journey that makes it so people will keep going? Yeah. Um, and, Through all the heartache. Yeah, yeah. And it's usually altruistic, mm. you know? So it's interesting. Crazy. Yeah. So what are some of the ceremonies and symbols that you create for your business? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I worried a bit about the concept of ceremony because it's new language mm, yeah. we're introducing into the business More lexicon. Like woo woo. Woo woo. Spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And I, I have a real, real, um, respect and regard for not mm. mixing the sacred and the profane, right? So I didn't want it to be, um, I, I, I walked that line very carefully. Mm. And so, um, ceremonies have been around for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, when you go back anthropologically at the earliest artifacts, we can find they were used in ritual. Mm -hmm. So there's something about community needing a ritual together mm -hmm. to have collective catharsis, to have some sort of emotional release together. And so I was shocked at how much ceremony is in business. It might mm -hmm. not look like ceremony to you. You mean we're not like lighting um, smoke bombs and yeah, yeah, yeah. ringing bells and <laughs> Chanting together. Uh, you could do that. <laughs> Slaying goats and <laughs> drinking the blood together. Not a lot of bloodletting. <laughs> but there's things like, um, like it's interesting when Steve Jobs re-entered Apple, you know the whole story, how he was kicked out for a decade. Yeah. He was gone and he came back and his primary goal was to get people to move from Mac OS 9 to 10. He knew that was going to make or break Apple. So every speech he did, every symbol he raised up, like the Think Different campaign, all those different things he did were in service of moving them. Well, there was a lot of confusion. They were skeptical, super skeptical, um, because they'd been jerked around for a decade before Steve yeah. showed up. And so he uh, did a ceremony, which is a vow. He pulled out an oversized piece of parchment paper and made a commitment to the developers in the room saying, I'm going to stick with this one single software strategy. So it's a vow, which is a ceremony. It's a commitment ceremony. Like a document. Yeah. It was a big document. And he wrote it down. Uh, or he just... Yeah, it was. You could see through it. It's kind of typeset. So, huh. of course, it's in app. Apple, what was Apple's Garamond font back then? Yeah, yeah. And then, um, once, once he had a new dream, uh, he really wanted them done. He was done. He was like, I gotta, we gotta stop talking about Mac OS nine. He's like, we need to really bury this old operating system because we've, we've moved on to 10. He had this vision that all your machines will be hooked up to this central operating system. If you look at that speech, he prophetically imagined a decade of products in that one speech for 10 years. Our most beloved Apple products came out of that one speech wow. of this vision he had of everything connected to Mac OS 10. So he was done. The developers that hadn't moved from 9 to 10, he was just tired of it. So he did a ceremony where he buried the old operating system. Literally, oh. a coffin and smoke came no up out way. of the stage. Yeah. He comes out. He has. There's an oversized box of Mac OS 9 in the coffin. <laughs> he does a eulogy. There's stained Shut glass. Up. Yeah. Eerie music playing stained glass. <laughs> and then he does the eulogy, shuts the lid, puts a red rose on it. It's gone. Mr. No Jobs way. never talked about Mac OS 9 again. Wow. It was very clear to the developers that it was over. So ceremony isn't hmm. so much this creepy 
killing a goat thing. (laughs) It is, it is a way for the organization to convey to the travelers that one thing has ended. So something new can Mm -hmm. begin. So if you look at the rites of passage, like a bar mitzvah or a quinceanera, which is in Mm -hmm. uh, the Hispanic culture that my husband's from, it really is about passing from the old into the new. And I'll, I'll never be a little girl again because Mm -hmm. I went through this quinceanera and now I'm a woman or I was a student. I've gone through a graduation and now I'm a graduate. Right. So there's this moment. It's mm-hmm. just a, it's just a five minute ceremony. Yeah. That's it. Suddenly you're like different. Suddenly you're a doctor. It's a wedding too. Yeah. 15 minutes. I was single. Now I have in-laws, right? right <laughs> Same <yeah>. thing. <laughs> so there is something to be said about endings and new beginnings simply because a ceremony mm. happened. And when you're driving really big change and trying to transform a lot of travelers, they hang on to the old. They cling to the past and the past clings it's to them. It's normal. It's yeah. what they're used and to. And so you have to kind of almost surgically and ceremonially cut from the past so a new beginning can begin. What are some of the ceremonies that any business or entrepreneur should be using or having throughout every year? You think like what are some things? Yeah, you know what? It, it really is about listening. So that's why the empathy was really important. Like I can sense um, the atmosphere, like it, it's for like different stages. You need different things. Like there's moments you need a commitment ceremony. There's moments you need to rally them to be brave. Mm. There's moments when they need to endure. Like it's in the moments of endurance that CEOs love to pull out cheesy race car metaphors, right? That's like the worst thing you can do. So they need moments of endurance and then they need moments to reflect. And so you, you need to know and sense the culture. And then that's when you hardwire the ceremony in, um, to honor the heroes is a ceremony. Mm. Um, in the dream phase, it would be, uh, immersed deeply. We were talking about. How do you suspend your belief long enough for others to immerse themselves in your dream? Um, I think um, a great story there was when uh, Howard Schultz took his team to New Orleans. Um, he stepped in as CEO. He stepped back in and mm. their, their stock was just tanking fast. It was just driving in the ground. And he did a super counterintuitive move. He asked for millions and millions of dollars to fly all of the store managers into New Orleans. Now, New Orleans was used as a symbol of disrepair because Katrina had already come through and it was in disrepair. So he asked them to give 10,000 hours of service in a city of disrepair so they would understand what it takes to pull themselves out of disrepair. 10,000 hours total. Yeah, total from all the people. Yeah. Each person, <laughs> like, Whoa. not that many hours in a day. And then, um, wow. it was really, really cool. Yeah. To serve. to serve. So they went oh there and goodness. they served and then they had a big kind of a galvanizing moment, which is what your travelers need. You need, they need a great galvanizing moment. And they set up these kind of displays. He did a talk and then they walked through their potential future. They could rake. He wanted them to fall in love with coffee again. They could rake beans. They could roast beans. There was this one display where they could pick up a cup and listen to actual um, actual audio recordings of the call center of their actual customers mm-hmm. to immerse themselves again in the shoes of their customers because he knew if he didn't get the managers of the stores re-engaged with the brand, it was going to fail. Yeah. And so he put all of his energy into walking in their shoes, getting them to fall in love with coffee again, again, to understand their role in turning the organization around. And he did it all with a galvanizing moment where he immersed them into an alternate future where Starbucks was going to thrive. It's fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. And he used speeches, stories, symbols, the whole thing. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh, this is incredible. And you yeah. tell all these stories in the book. Yeah. We have, I think eight, eight case studies in amazing. there. Amazing. Yeah. Um, what about the year ceremonies? Do you have any Mine. specific ones? Yeah, we do. 
can you share maybe one or yeah, we um one that it's a simple something? one yeah. well we we there's a few things so some of them are con- some of them feel contrived if the leaders just host a ceremony and it's not pulled from within the culture itself it can be cheesy so yes for years we would do this thing called pass the giraffe one of my employees wanted to have this little stand up at staff meeting and say Lewis did such a good job. Yay. I'm going to pass this token. And she happened to have picked up a wooden giraffe at like world market. Mm-hmm. And so for years and years and years, we would applaud or celebrate each other through the passing of the giraffe. And the, I, do, I talk about the case study in the book where my team had just gone through this really difficult season of hardship where we had to put systems in place. You get to about a hundred people, you have to start putting some bureaucracy in process mm-hmm. and then you have to get an MIS system where everyone's connected and it was just hell. I mean, you bring in, the, you bring in process to a creative firm. It's oh, like man. bringing the devil <laughs> and they just resisted it like crazy. And it was really, really difficult time. So I was, we were going through the season and some employees were like, the risk isn't worth the reward. I had some employees really? peel away too. And that's uh-huh. what happens in the climb phase. And so I, um, I was really kind of in this place where I was like, well, what is it? What, what is a group of giraffes called? What's a, what's a herd of giraffes called? Because I thought I need to pull on something that's already in my culture to find strength. And a herd of giraffes is called a tower. And I thought that was fascinating that this very thing that was already in my culture had so much symbolism. Mm. So we elevated the giraffe into our um, mascot. Really? We have probably, we have thousands of giraffes at the office because we passed them around so much. So we elevated it into our official mascot. We changed the name to Giraffermations that we um, mm. pass back and forth. But it, it, it was a ceremony that was already there that we kind of amplified and kind of formalized. So it mm-hmm. didn't feel so contrived um, as it would be if you just showed up one day and were like, okay, hey, everyone, we're having a funeral today, mm-hmm. you know? Interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I, there's all kinds of stories, but then, then there's ones that spring up from the hearts of the people. Like in this really difficult season of three years, one of the biggest signs of decay for me in my heart was that for 27 years, my husband started every single Monday morning staff meeting with a blessing. And it wasn't this hyper-religious mm-hmm. thing. It was just like you say blessings at Thanksgiving, right? He would say a prayer for their creativity to be unlocked, for favor with our clients, which is lovely. It was mm. kind of the same thing every Monday. And after 27 years, one of the employees asked it to stop. So for me, that was a sign of decay. So they all had the right. They all knew they had the right, but nobody had in 27 years asked it to stop. Because you can't have, it's a thing where if someone asks you to stop having a prayer at a mandatory meeting, you legally have to. Mm. And we knew that. So we knew the day would come someday. But to me, that was like meaning there was a little breakdown in our culture because that at one time was something that meant a lot to a lot of people. So after I did my uh, January vision talk, I was telling you it was like the talk of my life just this last January. We did a whole lot of little activities all week, little exercises to connect people to the vision. And at the end, we brought in a drum circle for fun. Just like we had this guy. It was like unbelievable because it kind of hits you in the chest, right? So it was all done. And then an employee says, because the prayer had stopped for about a year. And he said, hey, we want you and Mark to stand in the middle here and hold hands. And we're like, okay. The guy who asked you to stop. No, a different guy. Okay. Just an, an employee. So we stood in the middle and held hands and every employee whipped out a transcription of what my husband said. And they said. No the, way. Yeah. Oh yeah. My we gosh. were both crying. Oh Everybody was gosh. crying. Everyone in the whole thing was crying. Now that was a ceremony. It right. was a ceremony, but nothing that was contrived, but one that sprung out from their hearts toward us wow. in a way that was 
unbelievable. So they've asked us if there's a way, you know, to change it to a wish or, you know, if there's some way that we can like. It could be a gratitude moment. Right. And so that's, so now it was so, so for me, that was a sign that as I stepped in as a leader Mm. that it made a difference. Mm -hmm. It really made a difference. The hearts of the people had shifted incredibly. Yeah. So that's That's really cool. A spontaneous one, Mm. less than one that's orchestrated by the organization. Mm. I love this stuff. Um, A couple of questions left. I can keep going forever with you, but a few questions left. Why is enrollment so powerful? And what does enrollment mean to you? Enrollment? Yeah. Um, As a leader. Being enrolling. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting language because I I don't use that language. So so I think um, it's funny because when we first were writing the book, we called the people the troops. You know, instead of the travelers. And it's because, well, they're enlisted. Right, right. <laughs> they're in, and it sounded very, um, uh, leader, follower. Uh-huh. Like you, it, it sounded too much like you just, a troop has to do what right. they were enlisted to do. Enrollment is very different because the, mm. the people are self selecting in, yeah. which is very different than being told that they have to. Right. So I think if, if you have a journey, if you look at like Frodo, you know, his friend Sam, those guys chose to go yeah. along. They, they enrolled. Mm. They weren't enlisted. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that if, if you're a good leader, um, people will want to go where yeah. you feel they need to go. They'll know because you convey it in a way that's so beautiful. It'll create longing in them to yeah. see your future realized. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Final three questions then to wrap things up. Now, this is one of the questions I use at the end for everyone. If at the uh, the end of the day, many years from now, all your work has been erased, yeah, you have all your friends and family there, and you have a piece of paper and a pen to write down three things that you know to be true, the three truths hmm. of your experience in this world that you would pass on to everyone, a ceremony of passing <laughs> of your message to the passing world. Passing baton Exactly. Ceremony. What would be the three truths that you think uh, yeah. you'd want to pass on? I think... I think one of the truths, and it maybe didn't come up much in this interview, is that when you forgive someone, you actually are setting yourself free. Mm. I think sometimes we think our own bitterness is holding them in bondage, but it's only holding ourselves in bondage. Um, that would be one. Um, I think another one is something my husband and I have lived by, and that's if you wake up every day and you follow your passion – and you do what brings you peace, you'll find your destiny. So, so many people are like, how'd you know? How'd you know? How old were you when you knew that you loved presentations? It's like, oh, they found me. I didn't find them. They found me. You know, so I let, I didn't let life happen. But if something really turned my crank and really made me go, oh, that just feels right. It brings me peace. Mm-hmm. Um, we would do those things. The third thing would have to be that everyone can live the American dream. I think, I think that's, it just seems so obvious, but every single card is stacked against me, right? Mm -hmm. Really, you know, just poverty to not having a degree to landing in the middle of the Silicon Valley with nothing more than my hand on my hip and read every single book I could to make myself smartest person in the room, Mm -hmm. walk in a room, tell CEO what to say. Nobody asked me if I had a degree. Nobody said I wasn't qualified. Nobody questioned, questioned that. My husband, American born, but 100% Mexican. Like, 
we're living la vida loca, not right. because of any reason except we had the hustle, right? Mm -hmm. We want, we knew what we wanted and everyone can still have that. You yeah. either, you either live off the system or you're contributing to the system, mm -hmm. right? And we wanted, you know, we wanted to be the ones, you know, not living off the system. Right, right. Yeah. That's cool. I yeah. like those truths. Those are great. Yeah. Uh, what are you grateful for recently in your life? I'm grateful for my grandson, of course. Wow. I'm grateful for my husband for his health. He's on his third round with prostate cancer. Oh, wow. So every day is a new day. So mm -hmm. every time, you know, he had, should have decades, but we sit down at the dinner table with mortality sitting there with mm -hmm. us, right? And you just have to make sure every day is leveraged to its finest. Sure. So that's what I'm grateful for. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to make sure everyone gets this book called Illuminate. You can learn more about how to ignite change through speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols. Make sure to pick up a copy of this book. Where should we connect with you online? Where do you hang out? Yeah, online, uh, I'm there's Duarte.com. I also connect to everyone who connects to me on LinkedIn. My oh, Twitter okay. is at Nancy Duarte. My co-author is at Patty with an I, San, mm -hmm. S-A-N, which is short for Sanchez. Okay, very cool. And yeah. do you hang out on Twitter yourself? Do you yeah. connect with people? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Are you on Instagram as well or not? You know what? I'm not as good at not Instagram. <laughs> Twitter or LinkedIn, you're there. <laughs> and and Facebook somewhat. I'm okay. I'm trying to like, cool. I don't paste, post up pictures of my grandson up right, there because right, I'm right, like, right. I don't want any stalkers. <laughs> grandkid, sure, but sure. I'm trying to figure all that out. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, before I ask the final question, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you uh, for your ability to turn all your pain into a lot of wow. people's pleasure you too, and man. ability to be consistent and live your American dream because mm -hmm. it sounds like you had a lot against you and you could have easily allowed the system to support you, but you really mm -hmm. contributed in a huge way to more than just the system, but the world and, and, and everyone's needs. I mean, you're making an impact on mm -hmm. so many people's lives because stories are everything and it's a lost yeah. art form and you're allowing businesses, individuals, people who want to build relationships personal or, or corporate to really bring their dreams to life yeah. without these stories and these tools and your consistent vision of giving these to people, we wouldn't be where we are. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Well, I love that. Yeah. And I think you're very much uh, similar, right? I think Thank that you. pain and the quest for healing mm. it has driven you into a super lovely guy. I appreciate it. very fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, my final question is yeah. what's your definition of greatness? I think to define greatness, you have to understand leastness. I don't know what the opposite mm. of greatness is, but I think that if you want to be great, you have to understand the least of these, right? And I think having come from that place, um, it's easier to recognize. But I think the truly great mm. will help the least find their greatness. And I think that's kind of where you're at, yeah. right? You're like going back and trying to pull greatness out of those who feel like they're least. And that to me is greatness. Mm. Nancy, yeah. thanks for it's coming It's so on. good to meet Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Great I really admire you. what you're doing. Thank you. There you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this. All about, again, igniting change through speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols. If you did, make sure to share this episode. It's lewishouse.com slash 350. Wow. 
We got to 350 episodes, and it's all because you guys continue to share. You continue to let your friends know about these episodes, and you have built the movement of greatness in inspiring your friends and uplifting yourself to get to the next level. So thank you guys so very much for all that you do to come back each Monday, Wednesday, Friday when we release new episodes and for sharing them with your friends, telling people about them. That's how we are doing this together. So thank you guys so very much. Check out the full video interview at lewishouse.com slash 350. Also how you can connect with Nancy back on the show notes and all the other things we talked about, including Illuminate, get a copy of her book, which we have a link back there for you as well, and all that other good stuff. So thank you guys so very much. 350 in the books. Wow. It's kind of amazing to think, uh, you know, three and a half years, 350 episodes complete what a journey. I'm just so very grateful in this moment to see how far we've come. I'm looking at my wall of greatness with all the people that we've interviewed and all the incredible moments. The lessons that I've personally learned over this journey have been incredible. You know, I feel so blessed every single time I get to connect with someone and really dive into their story and learn their strategies and their lessons and how they became a master of what they do. So for me, it's been, it's been an honor and uh, such a a privilege to be able to connect with people and then share with you that wisdom. So thank you guys for being here, for continually lifting me up when I'm down, and um, for just making this an incredible experience. I'm super pumped for the next 350 episodes, so make sure to subscribe if you have yet to subscribe on the podcast app or on iTunes. That's iTunes.com slash School of Greatness. And leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode or any episodes, please let me know what you think. Leave a review over on iTunes. It's going to help spread the message even more. It would mean the world to me. So with that, I'll leave you with this. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and nada yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch to Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.